This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Empire. The Call of Duty League is booming. I think we had an ambitious vision to take Call of Duty League and esports alongside it into more of mainstream culture well before uh, any talk of a global pandemic. And we've been working on that vision and standing up that type of league for over two years now. That's Johanna Ferris, head of leagues at Activision Blizzard, home of the Call of Duty League, where the trajectory for competition and audience growth continues to explode. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. What does the future look like for esports? Clearly on the whole bright. It continues to grow, build brand allegiances, and expand audiences. What about specific landmark games, though? That's an interesting question. Call of Duty has been a juggernaut in the space and isn't in the realm of being threatened, but times can change. For now, Johanna Ferris likes the outlook for the Call of Duty League. Our guest this week is Johanna Ferris, who is the head of leagues at Activision Blizzard as the Call of Duty League has gotten going again and their audiences are growing exponentially. Hey, Johanna, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thanks for having me. All right, let's talk a little esports here. Um, I think in these circles, we know that the ball's been rolling downhill, um, but there was COVID-19. So I kind of want to start with that backdrop of the growth that you're seeing that we'll get into. Do you think it's a byproduct of the pandemic and people being inside? Do you think it's just momentum that had already started and interest in esports? Where are you on what's happened over the last year? I think it's both. I really do. I think we had an ambitious vision to take Call of Duty League and esports alongside it into more of mainstream culture well before uh, any talk of a global pandemic. And we've been working on that vision and standing up that type of league for over two years now. So when we launched, you know, we already felt a sense of momentum and groundswell for what CDL represented, not just for Call of Duty as a franchise, but also for the future of sports and entertainment. That said, you're right. I mean, once March hit, especially in the U.S., and things were becoming pretty severe from a COVID-19 perspective, the new layer, I'd say, of respect and validation for esports, primarily because of our ability to pivot quickly, to operate remotely, to in, you know, somewhat COVID-proof environments that analog or more traditional sports leagues would not be able to do. We stood up our championship event, for example, inside our own stadium in Warzone and uh, could really start to think about using remote technology and in-game experiences and marketing to uh, elevate and, and continue to innovate. So I think the two coming together made for a wild and very challenging 2020, but also 
um, an expanded interest industry-wide in what we were building. So take me back to the beginning of Call of Duty League. What were you trying to build here? We were trying to build a very powerful combination of some of the best models in traditional sports. Obviously, I came from the NFL and I lived that world for a long time. Combined with the power and legacy of Call of Duty as an esport, it's been 10 years going now that competitive duty has been on the map in a big way and, and very personality driven. Some of the biggest brands in all of gaming have grown up in a competitive Call of Duty scene. And so we thought about how we can bring city-based franchising and that type of operating model and revenue generating model, frankly, to a very established um, competitive scene that had all the makings of greatness well before we were going to apply sort of these NFL or NB types, the things that I think made CDL so powerful in our minds, even let's say back in 2019, before we launched, but we knew that we had something big here was just the love that we have to build off of that was engendered over the last decade plus. You have 200 million plus people playing Call of Duty year round. And this was before the franchise had plans to expand all over again into, you know, COD Mobile, into Warzone and Battle Royale. With that type of brand equity uh, behind the vision of combining the best of traditional and the best of existing esports activity, I think was a very unique opportunity, not only for myself coming into the role, but for bringing a new type of experience to the marketplace that could bring potentially sophistication into esports culture from a formatting mm. perspective, but also have, again, some of the most prominent personalities in gaming as the faces of this league in a way that could usher it more into the mainstream, potentially quicker and on the backs of a mega brand like Call of Duty. Okay, so there's a few things there. Let me start with the word you use, sophistication. Um, what did you think needed to be changed in presentation to make it more sophisticated? Well, I think there is an opportunity, right, to generate awareness and engagement and monetization, not only at a global level, but also at a hyper-local level. That's what the magic of the city-based franchising model does. You can think about any one of our 12 cities, in Toronto is a good example. They just had a huge announcement a couple of days ago about the arena that they're building in and around the Toronto area. Those are things that can now amplify fan awareness and, again, fan affinity, not just for Call of Duty and competitive Call of Duty, which was sort of the pre-franchise structure that we were entering into, but also bring a new layer of business development opportunity and fan development opportunity in and around the region of Toronto, in and around the geography of Canadian esports, such that we can build up a new brand like a Toronto Ultra um, and, and make them resonate in a big and connected way pretty much overnight when you think about how quickly they've been able to build that kind of brand equity. Same goes for every one of our other teams. That is the kind of sophistication and structuring that I think not just franchising, but city-based franchising has enabled in a scene that is as rich and as powerful uh, as Call of Duty has been as an esport up until this point. So we've got major global brands, the likes of 100 Thieves now, obviously entering the league. You've got FaZe Clan, you've got Optic, you've got a ton of other endemic, um, very well-established brands that are 
you know, sort of behind these front-facing city-based franchises that we have in our league. Now they don't resonate as a global prize pool pursuing esports. Right, right. Now they are part of something that represents a city map, a major metropolitan still all uh, amplify their opportunities at the global level, how the NFL and NBA models bring the best of the best together, both at a global and a local level. So that's been powerful um, and seen a lot of growth uh, even in a short period of time standing at the league last year. I've heard a, a number of people tell it to us this way. And I want to see if it resonates with you the same way, because I think you're talking about some of this, which is esports, whether it's call of duty or, or other games is a new little league. Um, do you see it on that scale that it, it, it's the new little league for the youth? Yeah. I mean, I, the, we still don't really know where the link is for what we're building. I think that's part of the appeal, but you know, you, we talk a lot about the advantages of being vertically integrated. We, we are the publisher of but we also operate the entire competitive pyramid, if you will, from casual play, where I drop in they'd like any given day to semi-professional um, programs. Really, they stars of our sport and of course obviously the creme de la top of the existing pros and our organizations there is something to to point to there around how up and coming gamers can now aspire to go from couch to pro as we say or couch mainstage in a way that we can be mindful of and really create seamless experiences that engender that type of aspiration. It's also why I think we call it the the sports league of the future. I know I say that all the time, but I think it's true, right? These are the yeah. next forms of entertainment as a spectator or as an event attendee. It's also the next form of global competitive experiences, as you point to, where now fans of Call of Duty can also understand how they can potentially go pro or vie to play at a highly competitive elite level with a clear uh, sense of how their trajectory should look um, from casual to, to elite. So we're excited about that and the ability to operate the entirety of that pyramid and see how far we can take it. Um, let's go back to the beginning now. So let's talk about Call of Duty here for a moment. What are you seeing with audiences, you know, COVID, no COVID, can you give us kind of a sense of what is happening in terms of the growth of the audiences that are being aggregated here? Well, if our opening weekend is any indication, I think we are trending in a very positive direction when it comes to growth. That's such a big goal for our ourselves here for season two, in particular, uh, as far as CDL went. We saw astonishing rates of engagement um, north of 50% year-over-year growth compared to last year's launch weekend, 70% in terms of reach. That, uh, to me, bodes very well as far as who is coming into this world and how we are able to, again, create new fans or appeal to larger parts of either our existing Call of Duty player base or larger parts of just mainstream sports culture, where we hear time and time again, there are so many fans who are compelled and they're intrigued, but they've never really attached themselves 
um, formally to an existing esport. I think this goes back to why there's power in the models that we've applied, where now it's much more translatable to casual players or casual esports fans to say, oh, there's a city-based structure. I can find my way into this sport in a way that's very similar and relatable to how maybe we've all grown up with our favorite city-based baseball teams or basketball teams or football teams and so forth. Uh, I think we're in a very strong position. We're going to keep our eyes on that growth trend. Um, hopefully we really knock it out of the park here in, in season two, and in particular really focused on our tentpole tournaments. Those are, you know, the climactic moments in time for the five stages of our regular season coming up. Our first major is next week. That's when all 12 teams are really going for the, the biggest prize pool yet uh, to buy for in our really all eyes on that. I'll be excited to see, you know, how did we expand our reach? How did we expand our footprint from a, from an audience perspective? Um, take me through marketing too. Um, you have experience, obviously, as you mentioned with, with the NFL and previously when sports would connect with fans, there were limited outlets at the time. So if you wanted to watch football, there were the places where you could watch football you'd be associated with. And clearly there's a lot of options now, but the NFL is the NFL. College football is college football. As these leagues like like yours started to grow, um, it came up in an internet age where there's a million different amateurs who are playing Call of Duty and streaming it. So how did you think through marketing to try to aggregate the audiences back to you? Love that question. It also speaks to some of the things that I was pulling from Cell, the big believer in making sure that we're so sophisticated and strategic around time slotting our broadcast and, and not just the quality of voice, but when to watch to create um, habits and viewing. That's been such a key ingredient to the success of traditional sports leagues. And it was really important to me and many others that we brought that over to, to a CDL. A good example of that is CDL Sundays has become, you know, sort of our primetime window. It's our keynote day, if you will, of, of match content. Albeit we've got four straight days every home series week and five straight days um, for, for majors. And even today <laughs> we're, we're in a situation where we're doing seven straight days, just given some of the pivots we had to make from last week. So they all culminate around CDL Sunday, where we want to make sure that people start to affiliate and associate with that as the major you know, day of the week where they're going to tune in. If they don't want to give us or they don't have the time to give us you know, every minute um, of, of viewing behavior, let's make sure that we're really eventizing our marquee matchups on that day. That has worked well. Um, and again, when we looked at some of the opening weekend metrics, we saw strong the primetime match was in particular between Chicago um, and Atlanta, excuse me. And, you know, that, that bodes well again for the approach we've taken to ensure that we're not only, you know, thoughtful about EU-based uh, time, for example, making sure that we're not too late in the for European fans to tune in and see the Royal Ravens or the Paris Legions as much as we can uh, control also to think about how to how do we really light it up scheduling wise on Sundays and, and make the most of it. 
I, I wanted to get your thoughts on competition too. Um, and, and this goes back to thinking about being at the NFL. I mean, we've seen this through the years. Other football leagues have tried. It takes a massive gargantuan effort to try to go up against them. And all of them have failed at attempting to get to them. Esports is different. Um, there are a lot of games. Some of them, like Call of Duty, are extraordinarily popular, and there are others that are extraordinarily popular, and we don't know what's coming down the road that is going to end up being the game of choice. Um, how do you kind of view the future of competition when you are fighting for building leagues and getting eyeballs? It goes back to that combination, right? There's something really important and significant in my opinion of what esports can do when combined with some of the powerful structures and models that got over from traditional sports it's basically the best of both worlds versus being in more of a binary trade-off situation where one um you know way of thinking needs to reign supreme call of duty league in particular again is a standout to me because you also can triangulate that with the power of the brand itself you've got just so much legacy for Call of Duty as an entertainment brand. So we can stretch CDL, not just from what it means to be a top tier esport or how we schedule our matches or how we establish city-based franchises, but also established collaborations in so many parts of culture from fashion collabs or music collabs yeah. or working with some of the most famous top tier names in sports and, and entertainment more broadly because they they love Call of Duty so deeply and it's so natural to them to want to get involved with our sport and our league. That is a very powerful and unique recipe. So in as much as we want to learn from traditional sports and in as much as we'd love to continue to appeal to traditional sports fans, that's not really the goal necessarily. I think it's really about changing the very nature of what global competition can look like. And we think the power that esports and gaming and franchises like Call of Duty and franchises like Overwatch bring to the table actually could reestablish um, what elite sports leagues look like going forward. Yeah. Um, and end to end, from stadium you know, building um, and development to, again, what it means to deliver direct-to-consumer content, both live and non-live. So very powerful time. I think it's an inflection point for many industries in that way. Um, and, and CDL, I think, is going to be a, a key beneficiary in that. Uh, I'm curious with your thoughts, since you brought up stadium experience, um, assuming the doors open up again soon, hopefully, for everybody around the globe, what do you want the stadium experience to be for people who come to watch Call of Duty League? You know, I, to be honest, I got to say, I don't know what that looks like, and I kind of love that. I think there's such a open, creative moment happening with what is a – esports arena of the future need to have and look like whether it's <clears throat> from 5g that we're in right now or we cannot imagine but we need to open our minds and be and be ready for what i mean by that is you know more interactive experiences versus just sort of a passive spectator experience um what does it mean to be able to gather as gamers in addition to gathering as viewers uh, of something that's happening on a main stage and, and just the technological savvy that goes into that from how we produce our events on site or be ready to produce them off site. Uh, everyone's talking about contactless experiences, just given, you know, in the wake of the pandemic. Um, I think that becomes even more germane. But there's, there's really this unique approach, I think, that's going to start to unfold thanks to esports, going back again to the Toronto announcement 
they were even, you know, right on that, that narrative already of saying, look, this isn't just yet another arena that we're all used to. This is going to be built for the future of fandom and built for the future of, you know, interactive experiences. So I'm very excited to see what that, that looks like. And I also would say not dissimilar to how we welcome all the kind of ground swelling and innovation that's happening across all of esports right now with more, you know, innovation coming into how we build arenas of the future or team practice facilities of the future. Uh, that will help push forward yet again the next project or the next breaking of ground somewhere else in the world. So I think we're all going to innovate together in that. And I'm very excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I think we all are. I, it's, it's funny. It, it's huge. And yet I, I feel like at least viewing it from the outside that we're still kind of in the beginning stages of it and we don't know where it's going to end up. Johanna Ferris is the head of leagues at Activision Blizzard, which is part of the Call of Duty League. Johanna, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. On the next Future Sport Podcast, teamwork makes the dream work. Core of our product is a communications hub that's used to connect all the athletes and all the folks that serve those athletes. And so we just saw, you know, really increased load of day-to-day messaging communication as things were changing, shifting schedules. That's Zach Moradis, CEO of Teamworks, as his group helped everyone navigate communicating during a pandemic. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.